Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How we doing? We good? We good, man? You guys sounded great today, and uh, I'm thankful for your worship. If you're in the room, there's something special about worshiping together in the room. And uh, man, if you've attended here for more than like, I don't know, the last 30 minutes, you've probably heard me say that, but I love it. And I'm so thankful for, for you doing that and just participating. And I hope that you don't just come and let other people sing, but that you lift up a joyful noise and fill this space with your worship and your praise. Uh, there's something powerful there. And uh, welcome to those of you that are watching online today. We always have, uh, throughout any given Sunday weekend, we always have an additional few hundred people that come and gather uh, with us online. So welcome to all of you that are at our beach campuses today and uh, vacations and uh, all that kind of stuff. But uh, we are thankful that you're here uh, as well. And uh, man, just what a really exciting time. Lots of great things happening. You heard that just a minute ago, Garrett. Uh, kind of brought you up. Friday's going to be great. The, the golf tournament's going to be great. I will tell you, and if you know me at all, I'm really competitive. So I had somebody tell me this week, like, you can't host a golf tournament and win it yourself. I was like, bet. Let's go. Like, <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to play, I'm going to try to win. Like, we're going to raise some good money for some good things. But at the end of the day, like, if I lose, it's going to be a disappointing day, right? As that's how I feel. Uh, I will tell you, we've had a couple people in our community that, you know, I found out they're not a part of our church. I found out they're good golfers. I found out that they win a lot of tournaments. And so I've messaged them on social media. I was like, hey, we'd love to have the opportunity you come and play for second in our tournament. It's really, some of you are like, I don't believe that's Christ-like. Well, y'all pray for me because I'm going to try to win Friday. But uh, we're going to have a good time Friday. We're going to raise some money for legacy makers and really the goal of that tournament, the primary goal, and we believe we're going to be able now, we have uh, just over 100 golfers that are registered to play, uh, yeah, which is fantastic. Also, those that have sponsored your whole sponsors, gold sponsors, title sponsors, uh, you're allowing us to help partner with our missionary in Southeast Asia, Johnny Moore, to put a young man in the Philippines through college and pay for all of the expenses to do that. That's life-changing, not just for him, but for his family and really for his village. And uh, we believe that we may even raise enough money to perhaps uh, adopt a second student for us to be able to do that. And, and man, just the potential that's there, uh, but also to be able to partner locally with some incredible organizations uh, in back-to-school efforts. We'll talk about that in just a minute, uh, but I'm thankful for that. And then, and then the next day, fireworks. I mean, hello, you can't get much better than fireworks and ice cream sandwiches, and it's going to be a great day. We want you to be here. Wear some of your Generations Church apparel. I'm wearing some of that today. But uh, wear some stuff that says Generations Church. Bring your family, bring your cornhole boards or whatever you got, your chairs, your food. Come hang out with us. It's going to be a really, really special day. And then just by way of announcement, because of the holidays next week, next Sunday, everybody say next Sunday. Next Sunday, we have our holiday service schedule. One service, 10 a.m., so you, it would start about right now. So if you came to the 9.30, come a few minutes later. If you're normally at the 11, come a few minutes earlier. And let's worship together as a church family. One service, 10 o'clock next Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a really, really great day. This past week, Corey and I were at youth camp with uh, just a great group of middle school students, not just from our church, but other churches in our region of North Georgia. Uh, had just over 500 people on the campground last week for middle school camp. A few more than that the week before for our high school camp. And uh, man, just a great, great experience. Youth camp, something near and dear to our heart. And I loved watching students worshiping and, and engaging the power of God in the services, but also having a lot of fun during the day and connecting with one another. We have one more week of camp. We have our grade school students that leave tomorrow. So our leaders that are going with them, just be in prayer for them for this final week 
of youth camp. Uh, it's going to be a really, really great, great week of camp together. Uh, today we're continuing in this series that we started a few weeks ago called Summer Stories. If you remember at the beginning of June, we, we jumped in together into looking in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at summer stories, and those are the parables that Jesus told, the stories Jesus told to teach us incredible lessons. And we said that there were about 39 parables in the four Gospels. Uh, many of them, or some of them, are repeated through a couple of Gospels, and uh, one of the Gospels has a few less than the others. But I mean, just if you take them all together, they teach great stories for all of us. And really, parables were Jesus using something to couch this larger truth that he was trying to teach. And that's, that's really what's going to happen again today. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to Luke chapter 10. This is uh, the, the story that we're going to unpack is one that you may be familiar with. But before we get to that parable, I want to set up the story. I want to tell you what Jesus was having a conversation about that really led him to this parable. This is what it says beginning in verse 25 of Luke 10. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Now, this is often referred to as the great commandment, right? The greatest commandment. Uh, when you boil it all down, like if you were to take all the laws of the Old Testament, all of the things that you could be commanded to do, how do you really encapsulate all of those things into a single idea, a single mantra, a single commandment for us to live by? And this expert in the law comes to Jesus, and he's testing Jesus, right? Which never turns out good for, for us if we're trying to do that necessarily. But he's testing Jesus, trying to say, hey, how do you take? If you, if you were to eliminate all those other laws, like you might be a heretic. But if you were to put one over the other, then you might be something of a false teacher. And so Jesus puts it back on him. Right? Jesus does what Jesus tends to do. Instead of answering the question just straightforward, he says to the man, he says, well, you asked the question, why don't you give the answer? What do you say? How do you read the law? And the man responds by encapsulating what's found in the book of Deuteronomy, found in other places in the gospel accounts of this. And he puts all of these things together and he says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, hey, you got it. Why'd you ask the question? You know the truth. Just go and do that. Well, it could be interpreted that this guy's trying to get a good deal. Anybody like to get a good deal, right? When I walk into a store, I don't normally hang out near the front because the sale rack, the clearance rack is in the back, right? And so I walk in and I don't know how you shop, you know, Corey can kind of walk through all the aisles, all the parts of the store. She can put 11 things in the buggy and get to the counter and check out with none of them because she's changed her mind by the end. For me, I walk in, I can look from, I don't know, let's say 50 feet away and tell you if I'm going to buy anything. I can just be like, yeah, I have all of those colors. Like I don't need that, right? So, but I'm looking for a good deal and, and it doesn't really matter how good a deal if it's a deal, I feel like I'm getting a deal, then I feel like, okay, this is going to be a good day. So I'll walk in and it might say, you know, used to be $12, now $11.99. I'm like, well, you know, that's, I got to save that penny where I can save it. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm looking for a good deal. And I, I kind of read this, and maybe this is unfair. I kind of read this as how this man is coming to Jesus. He's saying, hey, listen, like what's kind of the bottom line? Like, if we boil it all down to it, like, can you give me a good deal? Like, what's the bottom level here? Like, what, what, what do I have to do of all the things? Like, what do I have to do to get into heaven? Like, to inherit eternal life, like, what's that thing that I need to make sure I check that box? Like, all the other things, I'm going to wrestle with those. I'm going to work on those. But, like, if we really kind of get to it, like, what's the passing grade? 
And Jesus responds back just what we said. He said, hey, why don't you tell me? What do you think it is? And he answers correctly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, yeah, you got it. Just go do that as if that's an easy thing. Like if you just love God with everything you are, don't miss even one percentage point of that. Don't save the penny. Like just love him with all that you are. And at the same time, love your neighbor as yourself. Just go do those things. It's like, all right, I got it. Well, then we jump into this parable because the man decides, and I don't know how long it is. It doesn't tell us exactly. Like it doesn't tell us that the man stood there for five minutes contemplating. It could have been later. It could have been Jesus did something else, told something else. There was a lot of other conversation. And he's like, okay, well, let's see. Like if I can't keep that, because this is how we read it. Like if I can't keep that, then what else should I do? So let's continue reading in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. He wanted Jesus to know, like, okay, well, like I'm working on loving the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor is myself. So like trying to justify himself, trying to make sure that Jesus and everybody around him, maybe who were his neighbors, that he hadn't done a great job loving them, like to justify himself, he asked Jesus this question. Okay, well, who is my neighbor? Like if I got to love my neighbor as myself, who am I supposed to love? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go down the same road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now this parable, if you remember, is in response to a question. Now let me just pause for a second. This isn't a point. This isn't the main idea today. But this is probably something you want to jot down in your phone. God is not intimidated by your questions. Like you can ask him the things that you still don't understand. You can wrestle with things of faith. I, I think there is, no matter how much we talk about it not being the truth, I think that there is this mindset that you've got to have it all figured out before you show up here. You gotta have it all figured out before God can use you. You gotta have it all figured out before you can, you can kind of continue on. No, no, no. God is not intimidated by your questions. Like when you, when you struggle with things and wrestle with things, if you are really trying to learn and to glean understanding and wisdom and apply those things in your life, when you're really wrestling with the truth of God's word, which we all do, like I can read stuff that I've read before and as I read it, I'm like, man, I, I didn't see that. Like, what could that mean? What does that, what does that mean for me? That's one of the things that we love about these soap guides that we handed out just a few weeks ago and we encourage you to use as you read the Bible. It's scripture, observation, application, and prayer. You are really engaging the word of God every single day to try to figure out how to apply it and, and what you should learn from it. And so like God is not intimidated by your questions. This came in response to a faith question. Nothing is off limits. You can ask God anything 
that you want to ask him. And he will answer you. I believe that directly sometimes, like very specifically, as you ask God, you are going to feel that answer. You're going to hear it audibly or scripturally or through a mentor or through worship or the impression upon your heart, through the spirit of God impressing upon the spirit that he placed on the inside of you. Whatever that looks like for you, I believe God is going to answer you in some way or another. And so the way the answer comes here is through a story. It comes through a story. And as you read the story, and many of us have read this hundreds of times perhaps, like maybe you've already kind of glazed over the fact that like you know where this kind of ends, right? But there's a lot made of the fact that the first two guys that happened upon the scene, like this guy was traveling, he gets robbed, left, you know, half dead. He's stripped of his clothes, stripped of his belongings, all those things, and he's just kind of laying there in the ditch. There's a lot that's made about the fact that the first two guys that showed up were a priest and a Levite, so a priest, maybe you have some context or some understanding. Maybe you have, have been in a church where a, a priest was, was overseeing all of the, 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 the elements of worship. The Levites would have been the people among the people of God that were set apart for kind of kingdom service. They, they had some jobs of the, the nature of worship and preparing worship and offering sacrifice. And so there is this idea that the first two people that showed up would have been like spiritual people. They would have been people that had a job, give or take, air quotes here, a job that would have required them to be used by God in some form. And so I do think it's important that this is a story that Jesus made up to tell us a larger truth. So this isn't an actual priest that showed up or an actual Levite. So then you have to ask the question, and this is great when we're reading scripture, why might that have been included in the story? If it's a story that Jesus is making up to tell us a larger truth, why might he have included a priest and a Levite as the two individuals that happened upon the scene first but didn't respond in the merciful way? Because I think as we read through this story, he wanted us to understand that loving your neighbor can't just be your job. It has to be a natural response of your heart. Like loving your neighbor can't just be like, oh, well, I'm a Christian. Oh, I serve on the G team. I'm an elder. I give I'm a, I'm a G group leader. I'm on staff at a church. I, it, it can't just be that you respond because it's your job. What he's saying here is this is not something that they did because it was a, like a part of the form of their life and the rhythm and ritual of their life. It actually reveals that their heart was about something else. But the response of the third man, the Samaritan, and you're like, well, why is it important that it's a Samaritan? And maybe you fully understand this. I'm going to use language here that may seem like incendiary, and I don't mean it. If this story was placed in the 1950s in the South, this would be a black man on the road and a white man that stops. Like the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, the Samaritan people, they were culturally at war with one another. They hated one another to their very core. Like this would have been unthinkable that a Samaritan would be the hero of the story because Jesus is telling this story to a Jewish audience and he's telling a bunch of Jews that it wasn't their priest and it wasn't their Levite that saved the day. It was the group of people that they hated the most in this world. And he said, hey, if a Samaritan's heart is in the right place, God can use them too. Like it was, it was an affront to what they believed to be right in the world, which Jesus always tended to do. And so he says, hey, the Samaritan, he actually responds. And if you go all the way to the end, he said, who was, who was the neighbor and the expert in the law said to him? He said it was the one who showed mercy. And so I want to spend the remainder of our time today looking at what I believe Christ lays out for us in this story about what it means to be a good neighbor, right? This is not a State Farm commercial. But what it means, some of you won't get that. That's okay. It's all right. It wasn't really funny, 
But what does it mean to be a good neighbor? We got three truths about being a good neighbor. Here's the first one. Neighboring should affect your heart. Neighboring should affect your heart. What we read is it says this, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He came where the man was. The priest stayed on one side of the road. The Levite stayed on one side of the road. But the Samaritan crossed the road. He came to where the hurting man was. And he took pity on him. There was something that connected in his heart with compassion and mercy to the need that someone else had. But I would say to all of us, if it stops in our heart, it isn't neighboring. It should elicit a response. There's a lot of things that my heart kind of responds to, like, oh, oh, that's great. Oh, I love that. Oh, I respond to that. Oh, that makes me emotional. But if it doesn't actually create action, what's it good for? When the emotion leaves, when that fleeting moment leaves, nothing has changed about the circumstance and the situation. Good neighboring should affect your heart. I want to say something here for any of you that aren't haven't been living under a rock for the last 48 hours. In the news cycle over the last few days, you've seen that the Supreme Court made a decision on Friday or late in the week to make a change and to overturn, as it's been kind of presented, overturn Roe versus Wade. Now, hold on, hold on. We're going to clap. Here's what I want you to know. I, as a pastor, I believe in the right to life. I do. But I also know that there are people that are a part of our church that interpret this issue in a different way. Every every single person that I know, and I, I don't know a lot of people, but every single person that I know, when they view this issue, they don't view it in the way that the media has tried to put in the extreme margins. Nobody's trying to kill babies and nobody's necessarily trying to take away choice. It's ultimately trying to navigate this issue. Here's, Here's what I want you to hear from my heart. I believe that God has a purpose for every life. And that in ways far beyond my understanding, he has purpose even for babies before they're in their mother's womb. That's what I read as I read scripture. My faith compels me to believe that life comes from God. And so I was encouraged by the Supreme Court's decision. But I also know that this decision comes with a lot of emotions. Because there are probably people in this room who have been directly affected by abortion. And so when you see this decision, it weighs on you in a way that other people in this room cannot understand. They can't fathom. I was reminded of this quote even this morning. For every complex problem, there's an answer that's clear, simple, and probably wrong. All of us, as we navigate this, have to make sure that we refrain from making this an issue or a platform and be reminded that it's people and names. It's children and it's women and it's families and it's people. But there is truth. And so as I look to truth, what I'm reminded of is what I believe is that God is the originator of life. And so over the last few days, like I've kind of pushed back from social media because it's gotten very, very toxic, very toxic. The first characteristic of an overly anxious society, which I believe is what classifies how we are living right now, is reactivity. Everyone reacts immediately to whatever is in front of them without pausing to give consideration to their words. And I'm just as guilty of that. And so I've been careful what to say and what not to say because I recognize that there are people that are affected by both sides of this issue. And so as I think about that and I try to to dig in and say, like, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? What is good neighboring 
today in light of this issue? How did Jesus respond to the cultural narratives of the day? And how did he respond to political oppression, which is what they lived under? And how did he respond to things that were taking place that he completely disagreed with, it would seem, based on the truth and reality and the narrative of the gospel? It breaks my heart when I recognize that some women, both before now and maybe even to this day, see abortion as their only option. It breaks my heart. I also know that there are couples who cannot have children through no fault of their own and would love the opportunity to adopt these beautiful babies, and yet it may be cost prohibitive for them to do so because it's now thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars for some domestic adoptions. Like that's heartbreaking to me that we can't find a way to figure out how these two things can become something that works together. So I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth for just a moment. So just, that's a phrase my mom used to use when I was a kid. And if you're like, I, I talk out of both sides of my mouth all the time. Like I use the whole thing. I'm going to talk to two sets of people at the same time, but I'm going to try to break it down the best that I can. First, I want to speak to the church. And if you're in the room, I include you in this today. I want to speak to the church. We got to step up. We got to step up. We can't just have an opinion. It has to move our heart to action. We need to support women and young couples who may feel alone and unsure about what to do. We need to increase our support for medical ministries and nonprofits to provide increased care for these women. We've got to cross the street, get off Facebook, lead with our heart, put a face and a name with what other people are trying to make an issue. We got to step up. We got to do a work. We got to do a job. We've got to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the very best of our ability to do so. Now, Let me address those outside the church for a moment, all right? Because there is a narrative that persists right now that the church is just making this an issue, that we only care about winning in elections or we only care about the Supreme Court. And I don't think that's entirely true because there will be those who continue to chastise the church and accuse us of not doing anything. And I wanna show you a graphic that I ran on from Barna Research Maybe you've seen something similar, but you have practicing Christians at the top. So we're going to call that the church and you have all adults in society. Okay. So that includes those in the church, but it also includes everybody else. This left column is those that have adopted a child. 2% of all adults have adopted a child, but it's 5% within the church. When you go to the next column, those that have seriously considered adopting 26% of all adults have considered it seriously, but 38% in the church have. You go further along, been a foster parent. They actually have fostered children, helped children in a transitional season, and then released them maybe into their family of origin or to another family for long-term care and living. 2% of all adults have been a foster parent. It's 3% in the church. That's not a huge increase, but it definitely shows that the church has been active in a seriously considered fostering. 11% of all adults, 31% of the church. Now, when you look at these, I don't want to imply in any way that we figured it out, that we've done it all, that we've answered all the questions. But I do want to combat the idea that the church has not been involved. The church has been involved. There are men and women of God in the church practicing Christian adults that say, hey, I want to help be a part of a solution. It's not just an issue for me, but we've still got room to grow. We've still got work to do. The church is leading the way in so many areas. So many hospitals in the United States started as outreaches of various ministries and nonprofits. We've done a lot of great things, but there's still more 
to do. It is our responsibility to be the church outside the walls of the church. If we are only about gathering inside the church, we are only living out a portion of the mission of what God has called us to be. We are called to be good neighbors. We got to cross the street and we've got to get down in the mess and we've got to help someone because our heart responds to it. Now you can clap for that if you want to, all right? The second thing that we've got to do as good neighbors is neighboring should affect our schedule. Neighboring should affect our schedule. It says this, he went down to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then the next day, and yes, that stops right there, the next day. I'm just kind of showing the time frame that took place. It says that he was on a journey, but he paused his travels. He stopped what he was doing. He stopped his journey to engage this guy and try to do something for him. And he took his time engaging this guy. It's a great reminder that everywhere I read in the Gospels about Jesus doing ministry, Jesus never saw people as an interruption to his ministry. They were his ministry. Pastor Aaron referenced just a few minutes ago the story of Mark chapter 5. If you know anything about that entire chapter, which I would encourage you to read it, Jesus was on his way. When he healed the woman with the issue of blood, he was on his way to another miracle. He was actually going to heal uh, Jairus' daughter. And so it's like, hey, you got to come. My daughter's sick. So Jesus is on his way. He's traveling with a group. And the woman comes up and through her faith, she reaches out and she kind of draws on the power of God through Jesus Christ and she's healed. And Jesus pauses and encounters her and talks to her and she's healed. And while he's standing there, they send word to him, say, hey, you don't have to come anymore. Jairus' daughter's dead. And he still goes and does the miraculous. We think we know the timelines. We think we understand how things should work in our schedule, but Jesus never saw people as an interruption to his ministry. They were his ministry. I don't know, you've been looking at me for like 25 minutes right now. I don't know if you noticed, I got a haircut this week. (laughs) I've got a place that I normally go, but I was at youth camp this last week after traveling for the two weeks before that. My hair, you know, I don't have a lot of hair anymore, stress and kids and some of y'all, but it falls out. (laughs) But I, was, I told Corey, I was like, I got to get a haircut. So I left the campground where we had youth camp for a, a little period of time. I had to leave the campground anyway. And so, you know, I'm about to scare some of y'all. I just went to the place that cuts hair in the lobby of Walmart. I don't know. Some of you just lost a lot of respect for me. I don't know. But I was like, I mean, how could you mess this up, right? So I walked in. The lady that checked me in, she had a really interesting hair color and it was neon green. And I thought, maybe I've made a mistake. And so she checks me in, the other lady's going to cut my hair. And the moment I sat down in her seat, like the moment I sat down, she just started talking. I think that's like part of what you do. Like when they train you to cut hair, they teach you how to tell stories. And so this lady started talking and she immediately started telling me like her whole life story. Like she talked to me about her uncle who had died just two days before and the brokenness in relationship with her aunt who lives in New York and how that led into a brokenness with her mom and the broken relationship with her ex-husband who had passed away just a few months ago and all of the various pieces of her story. And I got to be honest, like I was in a hurry. I had to get back to the camp. I just needed a haircut. I need all this, right? But I just, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me like, just listen, just 
just respond. So I did. I just listened, and I, I told her I was so sorry, and I asked her some questions, and I tried to comfort her and encourage her the best that I could, and she was trying to wrestle down whether or not she should reach out to her mom, and I encouraged her to try to do so in some form. Whatever format she felt like was the safest to kind of cross that bridge, do it. And I was in a hurry. We stood at the, we were done with the haircut. It doesn't take long. We were done with the haircut. We stood at the counter for like eight minutes, 10 minutes, just wrapping up some stories. Here's what happens to so many of us, and I am the most guilty. Often, our hurry causes us to miss the hurting. We just, we just don't have time to cross the road. Have you seen our calendar? Have you seen our schedule? We got a lot going on. We're busy people. Like, I don't have time. We're in such a hurry that we miss someone who's hurting right behind our chair, right next to our desk, right across the street in the cul-de-sac. Our hurry causes us to miss the hurting. And I think part of being a good neighbor is just slowing down and listening. And when you do, I think you'll be amazed at what you hear. Here's the third thing as it relates to being a good neighbor. Neighboring should affect your wallet. Some of you are like, I was fine until that. Like, don't be touching my wallet. I'm not going to touch it. The Lord is. <laughs> Neighboring should affect your wallet. It says, the next day he took out two denarii. That's the currency. He gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Scripture tells us that where your treasure is, there your heart is. And if I can indict myself, maybe you would find some truth in this for your life. I often care until it costs me something. I care right up until the point that it actually costs me something. But it should affect our wallet. You heard a few things just a few minutes ago, and you're like, oh, those are just the announcements they make a lot. No, no, no. Like July 14th, we want you to come give blood. Like, that's not really about your treasure. That's actually about your heart, what flows through your heart. Like, come give us some of that, right? Like, sign up for the blood drive. Help people that are sick. When you give one pint of blood, three people's lives are impacted. It affects you. It's going to take a little time. But, like, be a part of that. Come volunteer at the golf tournament. Our legacy makers are making an impact locally and globally throughout the year. And when you give financially, you're helping us through Give a Kid a Chance for back-to-school supplies for kids and families that cannot afford it. You're helping us through the golf tournament and other efforts like that to help this young man in the Philippines literally change the trajectory of his life, his family, and his village. And we get to play golf and do that. Give money, sponsor. We're making a difference financially where we put our wallets, our money, our treasure into action. We have an ongoing partnership with the Cherokee Family Violence Center where we are helping women who have been or are coming out of abusive relationships for them and their children to have transitional housing, a place to live, supplying them with microwaves and vacuum cleaners and clothes and school supplies and saying, hey, we want to help you to get out of something that was hurting you to find a life that helps you. Good neighboring should affect our wallet. What if what God has given to you is meant to actually flow through you? Like, what if that's the way we viewed all of the things that God entrusted into our hands as good neighbors? What if that's what we did? 
It's a powerful story that Jesus told, to tell an incredible truth that Jesus wanted us to learn from. But if you remember how it started, the man asked him, he's trying to justify himself. So he says to Jesus, he says, okay, listen, who is my neighbor? I gotta love my neighbor as myself. Like, who is my neighbor? Remember that question. But how did Jesus finish the story? He said, who was a good neighbor? Who was a neighbor? Jesus did what only Jesus can do, and he changed what they were talking about just by telling a story. The man was trying to figure out, like, who am I required to love? And Jesus said, what kind of person should you be? It's a different question. If I'm trying to get a good deal, I'm trying to figure out, like, hey, as I'm walking down the road, like, who should I cross the street for, and who is it okay if I don't? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, hey, let me tell you a story. But at the end of this story, let me just ask you a different question. Where's your heart at? How do you view people? Who are you willing to cross the street for? Who are you willing to pause your to-do list for? Who are you willing to invest a few dollars in? Like, who are you trying to become? What story are you trying to tell? What character in nature that I have are you trying to reflect in the way that you do life? Are people in need thankful that you walk by because you stop, because you encounter them, because you make a difference? And I know, I get it, I know. Right now you're thinking, but like, I can't do everything. Like, there is a limit to my time and my talent and my treasure. There is a limit to those things, or I can't do everything. In a totally different context, Pastor Andy Stanley made this comment, this quote, he's quoted it a number of different times. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Like just start with the guy that's gonna ask you for money on the way to lunch today. And I know you're like, well, what if he uses it for drugs? What I'm responsible for is my response. Just start with the guy that you know that lives across the street who's hurting right now. You kind of heard it through the grapevine. Like, what is my response to that guy? Like, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? What, what's, the, what's the best deal I can get in this thing? No, no, no. Who am I becoming? What is the motivation of my heart? Who can I care for? Not who should I care for. Who can I go out of my way and express the love of God to? I'm just gonna start with one. And if I take one and you take one and you take one and you take, and together we actually make a tangible difference in the people right outside the walls of this church. You don't think that this community improves and more and more people are modeling the love of God to those who are hurting and in need. It would make a difference. It would make a difference. Who was a neighbor? I would hope if I was standing in that circle, I could raise my hand and go, I, I am, I wanna be, I wanna be, trust me with it, put hurting people along my path, I'll stop, I'll help, I'll cross the road, I'll be motivated by compassion and mercy and love because it's what was extended to me. It's what was extended to me. I'm gonna ask you right where you're at just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I know I'm not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You talk about Jesus and love and forgiveness and mercy. I, I, I need to receive that from him today. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. 
If that's you and you want it to change today, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. Put it right down. Now, if you'd say to me, Jeremy, for me, I just, I want to be a good neighbor. I want to do what it looks like to model what Jesus was teaching us, and I want to be a better neighbor to those in need. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? You can put it right down. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for life change. We thank you for those who've made decisions today to follow you and enter into relationship with you. God, we thank you that you forgive sins and you restore things back to life that once were left for dead. So God, we thank you for the work that you're doing right now. The hands that were lifted in this place, God, I thank you for that. Those that are watching online that have made that decision today, God, we thank you for that. And God, now I pray for every hand that was lifted to say, I want to be a good neighbor. I want to be the kind of person that crosses the road. God, help us to do that, to model that, to point people to you in the way that we serve as we give a cup of cold water in your name, that they would see you and glorify our Father in heaven. Don't let us be too busy, connected to our hearts. Let us pause our schedule. It's not an interruption. It is life. It is ministry. God, let us invest our resources into solving these problems and to help these people as best we can. And so God, we thank you for that. And God, now I pray specifically for the issue we discussed related to Roe versus Wade and abortion and the people that are impacted by this decision. I pray for every woman right now who's contemplating abortion, that they would find hope in the midst of that struggle and that hopelessness. God, let the church rise up. Let this be the finest hour for the church in the history of mankind. Let us continue to do what we've been doing, but let us do it even greater than we ever have before. Let us love well. Let us represent you. God, let us tame our tongues and speak life everywhere that we can. And God, I pray for every person who may have, they may have had an abortion in the past. God, I pray right now that they would not feel shame or guilt, but that God, they would find the forgiveness and love of the Savior, and that, God, they would be able to navigate these days in the freedom that's available to them through Jesus Christ. God, help us as the church, a part of the big C church, to shine light in the darkness. And where others are trying to use narrative to create division, let us, the church, be one. It's what you prayed for us. Let us be united around the gospel and the kingdom and nothing else. Seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, God, and let all the other things pass away. God, we thank you for what you're doing in the earth today as you see the church pursuing you with a greater sense of passion than ever before. God, let us see people, names, and stories and not buy into narratives of issues. God, let us be light. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.